joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And boy, do I have a show in store for you. Now, you know, this show is really about reducing or eliminating stress from all aspects of our life as we travel down our path to bliss. And you guys know that. You guys have been listening to me for about six years. And I bring a phenomenal amount of different guests on the show because – um, we have a lot of things in our life that can create stress and havoc for us. And the more educated we are about how we can curtail some of that, the better we are able to take that step forward and have a more blissful journey as we travel down a path to bliss, no matter what may come up in our lives. And so today's guest, let me tell you a little bit about, let me, let me pique your curiosity, first of all. How many of you... When you hear the word attorney, you immediately become stressed because it's either, you know, something negative that you've experienced in the past, something negative that you don't want to experience, or you just think, oh, my gosh, what now? That word can create an enormous amount of internal stress within us, like the IRS, when you hear the IRS, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. It's just these certain words can create stress within us, but... Here's the difference with today's guest. She is an attorney, and she's going to bestow information upon you that's going to help you curtail some of that stress. So the next time you hear the word attorney, you might not be so apt to become in a stressful state. You might be more apt to become in a positive state with regards to the words of wisdom that this wonderful guest is going to share with us. And she's taking time out of her busy practice to bestow some words of wisdom that is going to help us move forward more successfully and more positively as we travel down our path to bliss. So let me tell you about her. Her name is Nancy Green, and she started her own law firm in 2013. Now, here's here's what's so beautiful about Nancy. Nancy understands business, and if any of you out there listening own a business, have tried to be an entrepreneur, work for a business, know people that have a business, or you just do business on your day-to-day engagements, whether you're going to the grocery store, whether you're going to Barnes and Nobles. Um, business is all around us, and depending on where we are, it could be stressful, it could be uneventful, or it could be very elating and very positive. Now, in April 2016, Nancy joined Land Carroll and Blair PC as a principal. Her practice focuses on business litigation, employment law women-owned businesses, startup businesses, and those businesses in transition from family to legacy business. Now, after more than 20 years as a business lawyer and litigator, Nancy was tired of the heartbreak of business owners who lost everything from mistakes that could have been avoided. She made it her mission to inspire, educate, and empower business owners such as you and I. And Nancy's 
an ama- she, she's an amazing woman, but she's also an amazing author, and she is an Amazon best-selling author for her participation in eWoman Network, Succeeding Through Doubt, Fear, and Crisis. Now, when Nancy's not practicing law, she does something I love, love, love. She spends time on her horse farm with her husband and her two teenage boys, and she writes fiction now. When you envision attorney, especially an attorney that's a litigator, you know, that's like the kick, I'm going to just say the kick-ass women in the courtroom that don't take no stuff and they bring it hard. When I think of this, I think of Marsha Clark and the O.J. Simpson trial just because, you know, regardless of the outcome of that trial for her, she owned what she was doing in the courtroom and she showed up in a phenomenal presence, even though she had a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, could have compelled her or took her off course. She owned that. And so when you think of an attorney and a litigator, you don't think of somebody writing fiction, or maybe you do, but you also don't think of somebody spending time with horses. And horses are so beautiful. I love animals. I love being in nature. It's so grounding and so stress-releasing. And so with that being said, I want you to think of Nancy Green as this wonderful attorney that's here to share words of wisdom about how you can operate your business more successfully and avoid going to court and being in litigation. Um, To the wonderful woman, compassionate woman that is spending time with her beautiful horses on her horse farm. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Nancy Green to Blissful Living. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Rochelle. Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. That was that was great. Thank <laughs> you very everyone. much for, <laughs> thank you thank you for uh, having me here talking to your people. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you know, it's just, um, you know, I'm all about helping people um, to have a more really blissful journey as um, they travel down their path to bliss. And I tell people all the time, you know, our path's not going to always be paved with gold. We're going to come across potholes, big trees, basically stuff that we need to get over and get through. It may be quicksand. It may be, you know, poop. It may be whatever it is. Um, but it's not going to always be pretty. But if we can learn things that will help us keep moving forward and get around that big tree or, you know, that overgrown foliage or stepping out of that poop or that quicksand, then that's, you know, that's what it's all about because it's not about the destination. It's about enjoying the journey as you travel to the destination. So um, I want to ask you, I just want to start off um, and ask you, and I always like to do this with my guests, when did you know that you were meant to be an attorney, particularly focusing um, in the area of business law and litigation? Oh, well, um, so uh, after my first year of law school, (laughs) (laughs) I decided I was going to be an attorney. Um, I went to law school actually never intending to be a lawyer. Um, Really? Yeah, I was going to be a forensic psychologist. Um, which at the time I was going to, to law school, I uh, had gotten, it was a new field of psychology, and, and people know it from, you know, Silence of the Lambs, which was out at about the time. Uh, oh, yeah. The psychological profiles, that's part of forensic psychology. Um, and the preferred pedigree for that is an advanced degree in psychology and a law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got into every law school I applied to, uh, not so much on my psychology programs, which was my undergrad major, 
Um, and the school I ended up going to is like, okay, we'll, we'll make you this special program. There was all of one forensic psychology program in the country at the time. Wow. But law school is terrifying and horrible, and you have to survive your first year of it, and then we'll add in your master's psychology courses. Oh. And I said, great. Um, and about halfway through the first year of law school, I decided I really loved it and really didn't want to be going into forensic psychology anymore. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how what you think you want to do as you travel on your journey, you realize, hmm, I really want to do this over here, so let me indulge and do that. Isn't that funny how that happens? It it is, and it's very much been part and parcel of my life that you know, setting an intention to go one way, but being open enough to the opportunities that actually show up, which is part of the reason why my my resume is so uh, disparate. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it just gives you, you know, um, a wealth of background of information that you know you can help those that come to you, and you're you know you're able to understand. Um, possibly where they're coming from and, and where they want to go. Even though you didn't go into forensic psychology, you know, because that was an interest of yours, I'm sure you, and you know, with your undergrad, I'm sure you have some psychological information that helps you to help your clients to move forward. And I know, like our title of our show today is How to Run a Joy-Filled and Low-Stress Business. Now, I've been in business for over 26 years, and I can tell you that there's been times where it's been super stressed, super stressful, but there's also been the times um, where it's been filled with a tremendous amount of joy. And so what I want to just go right into, for those of you listening, it might be a great time for you to, you know, grab a piece of paper and a pen and, and sit back and relax for a little bit and take some notes because um, it's particularly if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or even if you work for someone, it might help you to understand a little bit about the processes of how you can bring joy into your business and, and allow the joy to be more um, prevalent than the stress that the business um can bring to you. So what exactly do you mean by joy-filled and low-stress business? What does that mean? Well, I mean, we all get into business because we're doing something we love, um, and we tend to forget that. So the part of having a joy-filled and low-stress business is really making sure that our focus stays on doing the things we love, and that means having a back office for the business that is tight, that has the people you need in support positions, that has the policies and contracts, so that the things that most business owners are worrying about, you know, um, is this client going to pay on their bill? Um, what do I do? There's employees that have, you know, personality conflicts. How do I handle it? The more you've systemized and streamlined that back office function and, and delegated, right, because that's one of the things that we don't do as business owners as often as we should. Um, I should be out doing the things that that bring value to my company, and that's not bookkeeping, <laughs> right? So by putting those systems in, it allows me to focus on the thing that made me want to do this business and be happy about it. And and have that confidence of walking out in the world because I know my systems are tight and we can handle whatever gets thrown at us because stuff's going to get thrown at us. That's the nature of life. Mm -hmm. 
but it really is knowing that you've got your I's dotted, your T's crossed, you know, your S looks like an S instead of a figure eight, those sort of things. <laughs> right. So gaze basically is just um, having, um, like you said, the back office um, area of your business um, prepared, um, systematized, so that you can really go out and do the things that you enjoy doing as a reason why you started the business without having the worry of, um, you know, something falling apart on the back end that you didn't think about. Uh, particularly, I can share a story with, uh, there's these two people I know that started a business, and they were all gung-ho, you know, all excited about the business. And as long as everything was going great in the business, they, now they didn't have like a contract, they didn't have a buyer-sell agreement or any of that kind of stuff. They were just two people that indulged in, you know, doing what they love to do or their vision of what, you know. However, when things got a little challenging, um, that's when the relationship with regards to the business began to sour. And because they didn't have a buy-sell agreement or didn't have some of those things systematized, it actually became kind of nasty. And so, lo and behold, it ended up, the business ended up halting. They couldn't move forward and make progress. There was no money being made um, because they didn't have the back office systematized. The whole thing collapsed from the foundation. Um, and so I know when you say having that back office in place and having contracts and things in place, um, you know, I think uh, that really does help people to when things get when everything's good everything's good but when everything's not good it becomes really nasty and by having some of those things in place can help those not good times not be so nasty correct correct exactly and that's exactly one of the things that i'm talking about is you know we all hop in to business and, and some of us start it because it's a hobby and then it, it grows into more um, but it's really taking that time to set up the, the rules of the game um, so that you can weather the storm I mean that's the you know the legal landmines that I talk about your friends went through one um, and because they didn't have a way out they blew up their business in a bad way, right? Mm-hmm. And so instead of it continuing and, and everyone benefiting, it closed its doors. And that's, you know, in my, my intro when you talk about the heartache of, of business owners, that's exactly what I was talking about, that we missed a step along the way um, and now really can't pull ourselves out of the problem. Yeah, I um have another story I could share with regards to that. So, um, he's a very successful entertainer, um, and, um, moved into the city I lived in and, or, and, you know, our kids became friends, we became friends and he shares a story with regards to his business. Now I'm going to say the entertainer's name and everybody will know who he is. Um, and he's very, very, very successful back in the day, but he had something that happened. So the entertainer is MC Hammer. And um, I know him as Stanley Burrell. That's his a God-given name by his mom. But his business name or his entertainment name is MC Hammer. And so when I, you know, talked to MC Hammer, when we talked to MC Hammer, 
you know, we asked him different things. Cause, I mean, you know, he's a, he, he became a friend. Our, their, our family, our families are close and the kids grew up together and all that stuff. And he said when he got into performing, he got into doing what he loved. He was an entertainer. He loved to perform. But because he didn't have the nuts and bolts of his business in order like it should have been, you know, he ended up going um, into bankruptcy. And it was because he didn't have the nuts and bolts of his business in order like it should have been. And what he, when he thought people were taking care of him, they really weren't taking care of him. And there were really like no uh, solid contracts on his end versus the record company and the people that represented him. Of course, they had solid contracts and stuff. But on his end, with regards to him running his business, he forgot entertainment was a business. He got into it because it was fun to do and he loved to entertain. And so when I heard that story, because I looked at him like, how in the hell can you make all this money and be and be broke? And, and you know, he said, because I just didn't have I didn't take what I was doing as a business. I took it as what I was doing when I was trying to get to that point as fun, and I didn't have my back end and my back office set up correctly, and I didn't have system. I didn't have anything systematized. And then, you know, this is like in the shoot late eighties, mid eighties, late eighties, you know, early nineties that he was hugely successful. Now he's gone on and done other things, and you know, still performs and learned from his mistakes, but. Um, the words of wisdom he did share was to make sure you take care of your P's and Q's, like you said. And so can you just share with um, some of the people or some of the listeners out there, can you just share with them, you know, a couple of things that you've seen with regards to entrepreneurs and business owners um, that they fail to neglect to do, simple little things that they fail to neglect to do that really can protect them on the back end, um, of, you know, maintaining success with their business. Sure, absolutely. Um, you, you hit on it with, with the MC Hammer's story in, in a large part, which is the single mistake we make in business um, is in part not treating it as a business, but not having the contracts that we need. So that your, the, your first example with your friends who went into business together they didn't have an operating agreement or a buy-sell or a dispute resolution provision. And when bad times happened, they had no choice but to go through uh, what I call a corporate divorce that you know, destroyed their business. Um, the same thing um, by not having a contract or, that was written to protect him um, with all of the various people, you know, MC Hammer left himself open to having people dissipate his money, having, you know, liabilities put in his name that despite being hugely successful at the time, um, they ended up in bankruptcy because he was focused on the art side and, and not on the business side. Um, so that's probably the biggest mistake entrepreneurs and business owners make is they get into these deals sort of on a handshake basis, uh, not realizing how hard it is to prove out a, a handshake deal and not using the law and the ability to use a contract in the best way to protect themselves. Because um, there's a lot of, of rights and protections you can have in a contract that you won't get any other way. 
Oh, so, you know, you hear um, people say, well, you know, I'm starting this business with, you know, partner, blah, 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 and I just don't want it to get nasty. And every time you bring in an attorney in, they pull, you know, they remind you of the nastiness. And I I really don't want to go that route. What would you say to people? <laughs> I mean, you, I know you've heard this. I mean, uh-huh. you know, what would you say to those people? What would you say to them? Um, it, it's a lot cheaper when it's hypothetically nasty versus when it's really nasty. Um, so I'll have couples come in, right, that the wife is making her business and they're, for whatever reason, doing it in both ownership name. Um, and I'll say, okay, whose business is this really? Who's running it, right, between the couple? And what happens when you separate? Oh, we'll never separate. That's fine. What happens when you separate? Because I'm paid, right? You're paying me to to go through all of the bad things that are going to happen so you think about them. And, you know, in your typical group of people coming together to form a company with no documentation, um, and I actually had this happen in the case. There were three friends from college who got together and, and put together a company. Um, one of them was the financial guy, um, and he got murdered. He was Ooh. murdered. Yeah. Um, big change in their business. But what happened there is his stock in the company was inherited by his sister. And there was nothing in, no agreement that required the stock to be sold back to the company or gave the others mm. the right to buy it. Um, and now they have a one-third owner of the business who doesn't care about it more than where's my check every month. Um, and there were some other things that had happened as we, we delved into it, um, but that became very expensive to buy her out of the company because there was no planning for that kind of event. Mm. And when I meet with people who are going into business together, you know, we'll I'll, Say, look, we have to have it now because I'd rather you set the rules while you like each other than when you don't. Um, because if if the reason the person is quitting and leaving the company is they're retiring and they're going to go sit in Key West and drink margaritas, great. You can be more mm. generous to that person. Um, but you can't be less generous. You, you know going in what your upside can be. Um and, you know, if the the person decides that they're going to Key West and they want their percentage and they're not really retired <laughs> and you don't want to be, right, working so 50% of your effort is lining their pockets for doing nothing anymore, you need a way to get that person out too. So in that case, the person who abandoned the business gets whatever you guys agreed was fair in advance and they get the minimum. And in the retirement where everyone's happy, maybe you, you negotiate something more generous. But it at least sets your expectations um, and gives you a way to handle some of the most common problems because those two examples, of, of key, the Key West examples, happen all the time in business, mm-hmm. all the time. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I – I like what you share with regards to when everything is peaches and cream, it's peaches and cream. And the three partners, one of them got murdered. And, you know, here you have this person that comes into business that has no vested interest, like you said, other than where's my check? Um, and so, you know, having those agreements, I mean, as, as hard as it may be to, I, I guess it's kind of like a prenuptial, as hard as it may be to to do that, 
in the long run, it's very protective of everybody involved um, because, you know, at the end of the day, everybody will know what they stood for and it's it's written and it's documented. And so things can transcend a lot smoother um, and, and keep that joy within the business um, that will not happen if you don't have that stuff in place. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sh- for sharing that. Now, I'm curious about just being an attorney. I have this, um, you know, I don't know, a vision, dream, something, you know, goal. You know, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people. I want to do everything in life that I possibly think I want to do because you only live once. However, you know, I one time was debating about going to law school and I became a um I said, well, you know what, before I indulge in that, my kids were small. I said, let me let me try really just an aspect of law that I could be familiar with, which was becoming a uh, certified legal nurse consultant. So I got to, you know, consult on cases. I got to be an expert witness. I got to go through, you know, files for both the plaintiff and the defendant defense. And it was really, really interesting. But it did tell me that, you know, maybe, you know, because I'm such a type A personality perfectionist, that maybe going into law would not be a good thing for me at this time. But then, lo and behold, I have this kid of mine, my youngest, who, you know, she was going to be a neurosurgeon, and she went from being a neurosurgeon to she wanted to be an attorney. And so she, you know, finished her undergrad, and she's taking a year off before she really decides if she wants to go into debt to become an attorney. But she's done some things, and, and she's really brilliant at, you know, seeing both sides of, of every issue. But on a day-to-day ba- basis, what is your day like with regards to being in business and being, you know, a business attorney and, and litigator? Because I know people want to know that because that's very intriguing. <laughs> so my husband says I can't say I have an average day because it's not average. Um, <laughs> What's that, right? <laughs> right. Um, so I have two types of days. So there's there are court days when I'm actually in court, and those are, frankly, easier um, huh? Because when you're in court, that's pretty much all you can focus on. My in-the-office day um, is essentially go, go, go. So all the night beforehand, I will print out my day's calendar and mark out, um, okay, from this time window to this time window, I'm working on this case or I've got these calls. Um, because not only am I handling client matters, I'm dealing with a lot of the firm's admin. I'm uh, writing for both the, the video series I have out, plus the book, plus the, the um, other stuff, plus the fiction. I'm managing a conference that takes place every February uh, in Colorado Springs about the business side of being a writer. Um, so all of those, you know, I, I start my battle plan for the day and break down how in my 10-hour day I'm, I'm going to use that time. Um, and then the phone rings at 8.30 and that all changes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at least I have a plan. And I, when whatever blew up goes back down, I go back to the plan. Um, I also have some fairly amazing associates and staff uh, who help keep me running 
um, and get things packaged up when I'm going out to speak at conferences and handle a lot of that administrative. So I've uh, spent a lot of time and energy making sure I'm doing just the things that I have to do as opposed to uh, the other distractions. Mm. Now, how, you know, for me, (laughs) me, the type A you know, in control personality. And granted, I'm the perfectionist, but you know, I'm I'm much better. I mean, I I can wax and wane with whatever. But sometimes, when I want to get something done, and I'm extremely focused on it. That'll be the time when I get a curveball thrown at me, and I either need to duck or swing and hit it out the park. Um, but it can be very distractive and very, you know, a little stressful. Although I know how to manage my stress, it, it can be a little stressful. Um, your day seems to, even though you may have had it planned out, you know, probably a week in advance or and you know what it is, you look at it the day before, how do you handle um, the ability to be able to keep yourself in a joyful place when you get thrown that curveball that takes you off your game plan, what you had, you know, set and, and reviewed the day before that you, you figured that you were going to have today? How do you remain in a joyful place with regards to that? Uh, sometimes it's a struggle, and sometimes it's as little as putting back down the phone after that call and saying, I need a walk around the block. Mm-hmm. Um, you can reset your, your headspace um, and go back to what the plan was. Um, and be, you know, I'm a, a perfectionist in, in recovery. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to admit that. I'm not going to admit that I'm in recovery. <laughs> Um, And part of that is really having to fight against the natural instinct to do it all myself and delegate out to the people I know can do it, Mm. right? So, you know, this new thing blew up and we need to respond to it. I've got six deadlines that no one else can take. Okay, I need to go and walk over to the associate's office and say, you now need to do this. Um, and because I like keeping my hands in stuff, right, I have my people come back in and check in with me as to what the status is. So for me, if I have to chase everyone to say, I've given you this project, it's got a week turnaround, we're in day three, where are you? That's stressful to me. Mm-hmm. So I, because I know who I am and how I work, um, I'll say, look, you have to tell me, you know, on day three where you are, um, I'm going to count on you and you have to be because proactive to come to me because if it's day five and it's due, I don't want to be chasing you down. And it gets me even more annoyed when I chase you down and found out it went out two days ago and I'm still worried about it. Right, right. So being able to be, I think, what I'm taking from what you're saying is being over, first of all, you have the team set up behind you, and then being able to delegate to them appropriately and having them being accountable to you for uh, deadlines or things that you're expecting to be done um, without having to chase the information helps you tremendously to stay in a joyful place um, with regards to all that you do. Absolutely. I love that. I mean, how many of us out there that run a business can actually say, uh, for one, that 
we have the systems or the team behind us in place for two that we hold them accountable and have them check in with us whether they're on target or on task or are not and three being able to delegate i mean sometimes that's the hard thing for me is to being able to delegate things um and give it to my team because again i'm the perfectionist and uh you know i want to make sure it's right but I do find that when I do let myself do that more, um, it is a bit of a release, um, especially when the person checks in with me and lets me know where they're at. It does feel like I'm in more of a state of bliss than a more than in a state of um, stress, and it does help. It does help all aspects of my business to run a lot more efficiently and effectively, and it keeps me in in you know. And that state of mind where I do want to go to Key West and sip on my ties and margaritas and put my feet up on that beach chair and watch the beautiful water roll in and out. I mean, it it, it it's it's beautiful. So if you guys are out there listening and you're you know looking to to take something away, here we have Nancy Green, who's this you know very highly um, successful business owner, business attorney, and litigator that you know shares her. One or one of her ways of staying in a joyful place with regards to her business um, is being able to delegate. So if you have a problem with delegating, um, take it from Nancy. It really does help, and it really can make a difference in you staying in a joyful place with regards to running your business. Now, Nancy, I want to ask you, you know, with regards to just business, why is it important to be crystal clear on what your business will and what won't do? Because I know sometimes we have visions of grandiose with our business and we want to do everything and, and be all for everybody, but that's really not possible. And that can really set us up for failure in many, many, many ways. Um, can you share why it's so important to be crystal clear on what our business can and can't do or should or shouldn't do? Yeah, so for me, there are really three reasons behind knowing uh, exactly what your business is doing. The first is a is a client relationship uh, aspect, right? Because if, you know, we always want to say, yes, I, I can do that for you because we want to serve those people. And there are, there are things that you shouldn't be serving on. Um, and I'll give you an example. I'll often get as I do the business law requests on trademarks. Well, can you get my trademark? Uh, and I have to say, no, I don't. I can't do that. Um, I can send you a list of people who, you know, I, I can you can work with. Um, but that easy question for a business owner is actually a whole completely different discipline of the law. Mm. Um, and it's specialized. Uh, so... I don't want to take the time away from the, the core of my business to go track down and, and handle that one aspect of it. It's better for both the client and myself to to take it out and let someone else handle that aspect. Um, and that goes into the, the second is reason is more and more businesses are niching or specializing and if you don't know what you you will and won't do, you can't focus, right? Um, I, I, same thing. Even though trademark is very closely related to business law, it's not what I want to focus on. Um, I certainly don't want to focus on divorce matters or traffic matters. So I keep my focus narrow. I can make myself the you know, go-to person for the stuff I do, and I have to let the other go. 
And that's really the third reason is when an opportunity crosses my desk, whether it's to go speak to this group or take on a new matter, if it's not within my focus, it becomes a really easy decision to pass on it. Um, so if the conference wants me to speak on trademark, well, no, you know, I'd love to, to bring value to people, but that's really not my area. Let me, these are opportunities I can, I can talk to you about. Um, so it takes that plate, because there's only so much we can do on any given day, year, month, um, and allows me to prioritize what I want on it. And I don't have that, if not, because you get those people without that focus, and they go, oh, well, I can make 500 bucks over here, and I can make over here, and, and they're going crazy mm-hmm. because they really don't know what they should be focused on. Um, mm-hmm. so I see that. Really, yeah, it's important to be clear on your vision. Do you have any Do you have any tips or suggestions um to help people get more clear on their vision with regards to what, you know, what they do and and what they shouldn't do, even though they probably could do it, but what they sh- should focus on. Like, for instance, you said, yeah, you know, tr- trademark is a part of business, but you, read it, you tell people you're really be- better off served by utilizing a trademark attorney because that's all they do versus, yeah, you could probably do it, but, you know, it's not what you do. So why give, you know, you know, why why give a half effort in doing something because you could do it but it's not what you do versus giving it off to someone who that's all they do. Um do you have any tips for helping people to like fine tune or hone in um or realize what they really 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 um should be doing? Yes, absolutely. So I have two sort of guiding principles that I use for that. The first is, do I enjoy it? Um, Mm -hmm. If it's not something that I think I'm going to enjoy doing, um, I know that's something I need to farm out. Like, I don't enjoy doing the bookkeeping, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to farm that out. Um, and, And then... I look, the second thing I look at, because um, I can, I'm, I'm completely capable of keeping my QuickBooks and handling all of that and making sure all those, uh, but not only do I find it not fun, um, I need to look at my acquisition costs or my return on investment costs. So for doing the bookkeeping, right, that's a, a return on investment cost. If I'm going to sink my time into it, um, that means that's, an hour a week at my billable rate, I don't bill out. As opposed to paying someone $15, $20 an hour to do that work. Well, my billable rate's a bit more than $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. So my return on that hour is much better to hire someone than to do it myself. Um, and then when it comes to these sort of adjacent areas of business where yeah, could I stretch and grab over there? Maybe. Um, I look really at that acquisition cost. So for me to educate myself enough on trademark, it's going to cost me a whole lot of time. I mean, I, I would like doing that. I think that area would be fun. So that hits the first checkbox. 
but now I've got only so many hours of a day that I need to split up between all the various work things I do and all the various family things I do. And do I want to invest another 10 hours of time a week in learning something new, even if it's related? Or, again, is that time, is that acquisition cost better spent somewhere else? And, you know, I made the decision that it's better spent, you know, getting home while it's still daylight (laughs) and seeing my kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, building relationships with trademark and patent attorneys who I know and can refer out to, that's a much better use of that time and that acquisition cost than, again, spending it. Because, you know, it's kind of horrible, but all of our time has a monetary value to it. And, you know, if if you're given a million dollars in your lifetime to spend, right, a million hours of your lifetime to spend, and you choose, you got to choose what to spend them on. Um, so I try very hard to spend them on the things that matter to me most, that are in my priorities most. Um, I love it. I yeah, thanks. Uh, and where I don't need to do it, I don't need to do it. I've gotten very good in the last five years of saying this is not for me. Love it. I just feel like this, you know, very rush of peace and calmness as you were talking. Um, because I think sometimes we just lose focus on that and um wanna be off and do all for every everyone and kind of, you know, lose lose our own sense of identity and purpose. Um and just like you said, checking in with yourself, and like you said, your billable hours are a lot more than twenty dollars an hour. So why would you spend your time doing your own bookkeeping when you can have someone do that, not worry about it, and and do uh, what you do that you love to do that is the best utilization of your time for what you're trying to accomplish in life? I, I think that's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Now, I want to get back on to the the business side and um, ask you, what issues should people be aware of, um, not only when there's like more than one business owner, but when they have more than one business? Because you know there's people out there that they have a couple of businesses and um, they may be a couple of different businesses. Um, what are, what are some things that you can share with those out there that do this? For instance, you are an attorney, you have a business, but you also write. And even though you don't, people may not equate being an author or a writer as a business. It is a whole separate business entity. Um, what are some things you can share with people with regards to what they should be aware of when they? do have those those couple things that they do um, that are their businesses. You need to treat each business like it's your only business. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, I get a lot of people that come in and say, oh, well, I'm starting my consulting business, but my husband already has an LLC. Uh, can't I just put it under his business? Well, yeah, technically um, you can. But what then happens when you separate? Um, <laughs> what then happens when your business is going gangbusters and his is fal- is faltering? If you're under one umbrella, then all your money is going in to support that venture. 
and that debt. Um, so for me, my law practice is under one name and one corporation um, with my business partners, and my writing is under a different LLC, different businesses. Um, my, you know, even when you're in similar businesses, so back before the crash, you'd, you'd see a lot of home builders, right? And they'd have the main company, but as they went in and built a subdivision, they'd have Forest Glen 1 LLC and Forest Glen 2 LLC. And they, the construction companies, the builders were doing that so because it's a high-risk venture. So if they were able to sell out all of Forest Glen 1, great, they could take their profit there. But if Forest Glen 2 struggled and wasn't making money, it, they weren't throwing the good money from the side that was Forest Glen 1 to prop up the failing business, right? They were in a position to cut their losses on the business that wasn't working without capsizing the whole ship. Mm. Um, so that's... If, when you have multiple businesses, it's really seductive to say, well, I'll just do it under one LLC, it'll be one tax return. But there are a lot of really good reasons to pay the accountant the extra fee to do the second tax return and pay your state the fees to have the second company. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really that separability and survivability. Um, and we touched a little bit earlier, when you have business partners, whether they're co-owners or whether you're teaming with their business, you have to document those agreements um, because you can, years later, be very surprised <laughs> by what the other side thought the agreement was, by what a court thinks your agreement was. Or, some, I mean, I've gone into court cases um, where both sides performed, right? My client mm -hmm. paid for services, the other person gave it, and my client sued for negligence in the, the performance of the services, and the court said, sorry, but when you guys made that verbal agreement, you had two completely different things in mind. So even though wow. it was performed and money changed hands, the court found there was no agreement. Um, so, you know, my client got the money back. He paid for the work to be done. Woo-hoo. Um, but it was less than a tenth of what the damages were <laughs> because oh, wow. in Reliance had bought, you know, an airplane. Um, that needed a whole lot of work. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, and, you know, my client was a very sophisticated business owner. He had run his company for years. And, again, he stepped out of his core line of business to expand um, and got snafu'd. But a lot of that was he didn't have a contract. Hmm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. So you guys out there listening, make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's and make your S's look like S's and not look like eights because it will benefit you in the long run. Now, here's something that could be very stressful. Having clients, and we've all had these, that don't pay their bills, how can us as business owners who want to stay in a joyful place and have a joy-filled business, make sure that our clients pay our bills. Yeah, so there are generally two reasons, three maybe, why your clients aren't paying you. Um, 
the first is you've made payment optional, um, and that's again the you don't have an agreement, right? So this goes back to being super clear about what you're doing and not doing. Um, clients who are upset don't pay your bill, and clients get upset because they don't get what they thought they were going to get. And that may be through no fault of the business owners, right, because, again, they have something else in mind. Um, I had someone con come and consult with me that they were bookkeeper, and they had this one company that had two businesses, and they had run both businesses under the same QuickBooks account, and mm. she was hired to separate the accounts. Um, and she did that. And handed the report in, she'd done a ton of work, was really proud of it, and the client essentially threw the work back in her face and said, what is this garbage? This isn't what I wanted, right? because the client wasn't real clear on what the client wanted, but he did know what he didn't want. <laughs> so, you know, and, <laughs> Which um, he probably it, did not articulate to her. Right. And in his mind, mm -hmm. what he was going to get back is the... QuickBooks file for the older company was going to have everything purged out and was going to be a clean start, and there was the new QuickBooks file for the new company. And what the bookkeeper did, because it was just too much of an effort, is she left the data in the old company but flagged it as the new company. So when oh, the reports okay. were run, it would show clearly that it, it should be taken out of this company's expense. But because her solution was completely viable, but it wasn't what the client expected, partially because he didn't articulate what he wanted. You know, her fee didn't get paid. And, mm. and worse, he canceled the contract for the year's worth of services with her. Oh. Uh, so being real super clear, and if you've got one of those jobs or services, especially service providers, where there's discretion involved, um, you want to, to specify really how you're going to use that discretion when you can so that you're not just coming with an end product that's different than your client thought. Um, the other way, and again, it's, it's all in your contracting, um, you can have your client put credit cards on, on file and have them agree that you're going to get invoiced um, and that they've got a certain amount of time to protest your bill, otherwise it's getting charged to their credit card. You can, if you work on a flat fee project basis, get the fee up front. Um, you know, take a retainer in. So when I take a new matter for a client that I haven't dealt with before, I will have them give me a retainer. Um, that's roughly what I estimate the task to be. Litigation's different. Um, mm -hmm. But what the task to be. So I've got that money up front. Right. Um, but really, the biggest time you end up with disputes with your, your customers is because their expectations and yours are different. Um, Makes sense. I mean, okay, so here I'm going to throw something else because I've, I, I, I've experienced this. What about when you, you know, you drop a proposal, um, you know, within the document of the proposal, it has all the legality stuff, you know, with regards to this is the cost, this is what's going to be done, initiation of work indicates acceptance of the proposal, you have the you have agreement on the work that's going to be done, you have the um, company, corporation, whoever, 
they sign it, and um, you go ahead and do the work, and then lo and behold, you know, you invoice them, and they still don't pay. What is a recourse for a business owner um, in regards to that? Um, I've experienced that a couple of times. And, you know, of course, you know, I mean, it was years ago. I just kind of, you know, wrote it off, so to speak. But don't ever want to experience that again because, you know, even today when I look back on the company, they're still utilizing the technology that I installed for them. And it's a it's a large, a major financial institution. Okay, they they're utilizing the technology that the com- my, the company that I own installed for them today, but yet they still have not paid the bill. And of course, you know, over the years, the person that was responsible for the project management and authorization, well, you know, they don't, they're no longer around. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you protect yourself from something like that? Because, you know, when you were, you know, you put expenditures out there to do a good job for companies, and a lot of times these large companies can be bullies. You know, they really can be bullies. How do you protect yourself from, one, getting burned on, on that end, which, again, can be a tremendous amount of stress when you, you know, put out large expenditures to do this job, and then on the back end you can't get paid? Right. So a lot of that is front-loading the problem. When you do, especially when you're working with a corporation, assume that the person you negotiate with will not be the person there during delivery. Right, okay. Um, So the the whole, hey, we agreed to this, yeah, 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 I remember that, no problem. Assume that that's not going to happen. Okay. Sign, have them sign your agreement rather than the other way around. Right. You want for your business a contract that protects your business. And when you sign your client's agreement, the client's agreement signs that protects them. Mm. Um, the other, when you're delivering a product or installing, um, don't deliver until they pay you. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if you're installing a, a system, you should have a, like a construction draw. So if mm-hmm. I've got... 100 computers I need to load the software on, when I've loaded 10, you pay me 10%. When I've loaded 25, I've got 25%. So it makes that that exposure less. Um, Have in your contract an attorney's fee provision. So we follow the American rule for attorney's fees, which means that unless you have a written contract, you're pretty there's some statutes that cover, but they mostly benefit employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to get your legal fees back, so it sounds crazy, but a fifty thousand dollar bill, if you can't recover your attorney's fee, may be too costly to chase right um, because at that number you're past every every state's small claims court and and lower court. Right, so you want to be able to recover attorney's fees because that gives you a little bit of teeth as well. And police your AR. Um, my, you know, if you're net 15 and it's net 30, mm-hmm. you should not be starting work in the for the next month. Um, your contract should say, if you are behind, I have the right to stop working. And you need to police that. So you need to have someone in the office say, hey, you know, the Smith account is trending 60 days past due. 
um, but they just called them on a whole bunch of work. Well, they don't get a whole bunch of work until they get the bill paid. Gotcha. Um, so it's standing up a little bit, standing up for yourself. But it's having that having that out clause in the contract that says I'm going to deliver 100 units on this this schedule. They stop paying you at 50 units, and now they're screaming, "Well, I need my other 50 units. We've got a deadline." Great, pay my bill, <laughs> and I will get you back on track. Um, but but without that's that, perfect. <laughs> but without a provision in that contract that says, you know. They're making as interim payments to you, and if they don't make the payments, you have the right to stop. You're stuck performing to hope they pay for you on the end when they've already delivered and you now have no leverage other than going to court to sue them. Love it. Because my next question was going to be, you know, what is an out clause and why is it so important to have? And I, th- I think you've covered that a little bit, but can you just articulate that one more time? Because, you know, you know, in today's modern society, you know, you have the, still the traditional way of doing business where there's contracts and proposals and things of that nature going back and forth. But with the advent of online business, you know, a lot of online people doing online stuff um, where they I don't think they necessarily have a contract or, you know, I'm going to think like healers and, you know, that kind of stuff out there. Um, why is it important? First of all, what is an out clause? And, and then, again, why is it, again, so important to have that in no matter what kind of business you do? Okay, yeah. So an out clause, the way I'm using it, is any contract provision that lets you stop working um, with the customer, with your partner, um, anything that, that if the contract becomes unworkable for some reason, like we've all had clients that we've we've worked with, and after working them for a while, we'd rather you know bang our head against our desk and pick up the phone when they show up on the caller ID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to work with people like that if they make you miserable, because you're probably making them miserable too. And, right. And you're much better releasing that and releasing that work. Um, but if you're assigned a year coaching agreement with them. <laughs> And you've yeah, there you go. On it, right? So you want a way to address sort of some of the normal things that come up in a, a business relationship that would make continuing it either unprofitable for you or unfun for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the longer that relationship's going to last, the more important these clauses are, right? So with your business partner, where you might be in business, I mean my. My firm, it will celebrate its 40th anniversary in 2018. Um, mm. So the three remaining original partners have been business partners for, at this point, 38 years together. Wow. So, right. Being able to negotiate those differences has been critical. Um, but even a year contract, if if you're grinding your teeth two months into it's too long. Um, and... Like, for my my bookkeeper client, she gave him a price, and I've had it for editors, too, that they gave price estimates based on a certain quantity of work to be done. When they got the deliverables from the client to now work on, it was much worse um, Mm -hmm. and much more work on their part. So they were essentially upside down. My, My editor friend, who 
takes the first three chapters of your book, and he'll give you a price saying, assuming the, the rest of the book is in this quality, this is how many hours it will take me, and this is your net cost. Mm-hmm. Right? And he, at the time, wasn't using a contract. So when the client delivered a first fairly pristine first three chapters and a barely spell-checked 30 following chapters, <laughs> they had a problem. Right? They had a problem. Um, because the the client, right, the the novelist is expecting all of the editing to be done for fifteen hundred dollars, and it's going to take fifteen hundred dollars to do the next three chapters because right. there's no poor quality. Um, and to be able to say, have in your contract, look, if you client deliver me something that's not consistent with the sample you gave me for this bid, I can charge you more, or we can walk away. Um, is useful, right? And the same thing. I'm not going to deliver my product to you until you pay me. Right. But that's, I mean, that's really why you want to have an out clause, especially when there's information that the other side knows that you won't know until you're, you've quoted and are under contract. Wow. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing that because, I mean, like I said, you you just shared so much uh, wisdom uh, with us today with regards to how we can do things to really keep our business in a less stressed state and really stand and and run our business um, filled with joy and be in a joyful state. The last question that I want to ask you is, um, what brings you joy? Um, so spending time on the farm with my boys, all three of them, um, my husband will grumble and I just called him a boy, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. They are still our boys. We get rid of our kids first, but we don't get rid of them. They be our boys forever. (laughs) They do. Um, yeah, we, um, especially during the summer and we're kind of coming out of this, but we'll, and set a movie projector out on the farm and watch movies out by the pool, just kind of hanging out with them, Um, you know, and spending the time to play with the horses and just, you know, get away from it all. Um, How many horses do you have? uh, I have two. Um, They live in my front yard. Oh, I, lo- I love, I, like I said in, in the beginning, I love animals, and I have this um, unique ability to, I wouldn't call myself an animal communicator, but I have this unique ability to communicate with animals, and they're, they're compelled to, they come to me. It's just the most amazing thing I've d- have done this since I was a little kid. Um, I It's like we have this communication process that goes on, but I cannot really tell you what they said, but I know what they're saying. You know, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, wild animals, you know, I've had deer just come up to me and literally, like, will eat out of my hand, and they're wild. Um, you know, birds, um, you know, fish. Um, and it's funny, my kids have seen this. They, at first, I used to say, oh, I, they, you know, I'm a Dr. Doolittle, and they're like, oh, you're crazy. And then they start witnessing it, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, Mom, you you, you got something here. And I'm like, yeah, it's just it's what I like to do, and it helps me to um, stay grounded and at peace and, and, you know, communication and commune with nature because it's, it's so beautiful and, you know, and, and, and nature is so forgiving, you know, and yeah. and people are not always forgiving. So when I'm feeling in a, you know, when I'm feeling like, ah, 
I just, you know, go out and, and just be in nature. And it's amazing how, you know, butterflies will fly around me or birds will come and sing to me or the deer will come up to me or the cats or whatever. And it just really helps me to appreciate the goodness that we have in life that we so often take for granted. So, um, you know, horses, I used to ride horses all the time when I was a kid and then kind of got out of it because I moved and became, a, you know, just become a, an adult, right? <laughs> But um, right. but just seeing their beauty and seeing them run and you know just uh, just seeing them is just really calming and grounding to me. So the fact that you have that and you're able to spend time and and that's what brings you joy is absolutely beautiful and a wonderful way to close our show. But before we close, all of you have been listening and you might want to say, hey, does Nancy work with people outside of her metropolitan area? Um, and I think you, where are you, Nancy? Where are you located? In Alexandria, Virginia, right? Yeah, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm Bard, um, D.C., Virginia, Maryland. Um, and it's so I do a couple, as you can probably tell, a couple different things. So I do a, a lot of the legal work, but I do a lot of business consulting outside that metro area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like going in and making sure your policies are and procedures are in place, helping you decide when to scale up and how to transition, all of those things um, fall more under the consulting area. Uh, and those I definitely do outside the D.C. metro area. Perfect. So someone listening that may not be in the D.C. metro area can connect with you with regards to business consulting. And how would someone connect with you if if they wanted to? How would they do that? Um, So I'm active social media. So my Facebook um, and LinkedIn names are both the same. They're Attorney Nancy Green. um, And Green has that sneaky little silent E on the end. (laughs) You can email me at ngreen, uh, G-R-E-E-N-E, at attorneynancygreen.com. And then my Twitter, um, because they didn't have enough room for attorney, is A-T-T-N-Y, Nancy Green. Um, And you can reach me those ways. Perfect. Well, you guys, there you have it. Um, Another way that you can have less stress or no stress at all in your life when it comes to uh, traveling down your path to bliss, particularly if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, um, or someone in a business and you have your partner or a a key player, so to speak. Um, Nancy has shared a tremendous amount of wisdom and information that people pay her lots of money to get, and you guys got it here today for free. If Nancy is someone that you want to connect with, contact, you have some issues with regards to your business, you want her to look at your stuff, um, to make sure your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed, and you don't fall into, you know, being a business owner and going out there and doing stuff, such as the example I gave with, um, you know, Mr. Stanley Burrell, a.k.a. MC Hammer, um, then I highly suggest that you connect with Nancy. And, again, you can connect with her at in green with the silent e at the end at attorneynancygreen.com or follow her on Facebook or Twitter and and you know she's sharing words of wisdom all the time and um she's a very very wonderful lady I've met her in person and she's fun and she's pretty and she's intelligent and she's witty but most importantly you guys she's knowledgeable and she's filled with joy and sometimes a profession that, you know, we often don't see 
um, a joy-filled person in. So there you have it, the wonderful, phenomenal, and joy-filled Nancy D. Green, attorney at law. And for all of you out there listening, I want to thank you for listening and tuning in. And, again, thank you, Nancy, so much for being a guest on Blissful Living. It was a pleasure. I learned so much. I mean, you, like I said, you, just the way you talk, you're so peaceful. You just brought peace to me as I'm listening to you talk about some really, really stressful things that, um, you know, can can create havoc in our lives. And so thank you so much for agreeing to say yes and, and coming on the show. And uh, I know, I know that your words of wisdom will help so many people. And with that being said, all of you, again, thank you for your time. This is Rochelle Marie Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, saying, um, as always, I'm wishing you peace to your mind wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next time, have a phenomenal journey as you travel down your path to bliss, and goodbye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.